0: Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life, but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free, Thirty-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, lovely humans, and welcome to another episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Chopa. You know the drill: another week, another podcast episode, another fantastic guest. Ooh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> I, I love being able to listen back and do the editing on these because um, I feel like I always take away something new. And uh, this this episode is no exception. Uh, my guest this week is uh, a friend of mine. And I, ooh, I, I mean, she has been through so much more than I think most people ever experience in their lifetime, and she's only a few years older than me. Um, So I don't know how she is still a functioning human adult, but I'm grateful that she is alive and well today, Um, and that I have had the pleasure of getting to know her um, because she's truly a fantastic person. And in this episode, we... Talk about a lot of things. I mean, this, this, this episode really takes a lot of uh, wild and, and interesting turns uh, because, you know, I think that's really um, reflective of life. You know, you're going in one direction and then a bridge to another thing happens. And I think that's, it's beautiful and it's challenging. And it's true. It's honest. Um, you know, change is the one thing that you can always count on. Something is always going to happen when you least expect it. Um, and sometimes it's for better and sometimes it sucks. So we talk a lot in this episode about grief and, uh, we talk about ethical non-monogamy and we talk about therapy. This is an episode that has something for everybody, um I feel like particularly if you are um, somebody who is experiencing grief or if you are somebody who is trying to help someone you care about through the process of grief, this is this is the episode for you because you will feel seen, you will feel validated and you like I said, if you are somebody who's trying to help somebody else, you will receive some great tips of how you can be a better shoulder for that person that you care about. Um, truly, as as we were talking, there were so many things where I was like, oh, thank God, I'm not the only one who feels this way, or I'm not the only one who has thought this. And that, oh, there's really so much to be said for validation. And um, grief is weird. Grief is really weird. And so we get into that. Um, I don't think I'll ever stop being grateful for uh, my friend for coming on this podcast. And uh, this is one where we recorded in my closet. Um, we were drinking sparkling wine. And uh, as you know, I typically I typically record interviews over Zoom. Um, but if it's somebody that I know... Um, and they are local to me, then, you know, we try to do it together. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> I mean, I pay them in wine, but they also have to sit in my uncomfortable closet. Um, you know, it's, uh, we work with what we've got. But, um, she's so open and so honest and so kind and optimistic. And I, I truly, truly appreciate her. As a person, I appreciate her friendship, I appreciate her wisdom, and I appreciate her um, willingness to be so open in this conversation Um, because shit gets heavy. Shit gets real heavy, and she's so strong. Please welcome to the podcast my friend Kate Roberts. She is a therapist, a widow, a mother, a fantastic person and friend she's empathic she is kind she is lovely and I think that um, you are really going to enjoy this conversation so please give it up for my friend Kate (laughs) (laughs) all right cool Kate welcome to my podcast
1: thank you for having me
0: yes absolutely I'm excited perfect I'm so excited to have you like when I decided that I was going to do a podcast I knew that you were somebody that I wanted to have on because, like, and this is the part where I shower you with compliments. um, Excellent. Just prepare yourself. Okay. Um, But I think that you are one of the most resilient people um, that I've ever met. Oh, thank you. You are so empathetic. Your story is so intriguing, um, and you are just all around a very kind human being. And so I appreciate you, and I'm glad that we're friends.
1: Thank you. I yeah, I appreciate that a lot, and I'm glad that we are friends as well.
0: Yes. So we actually met on on Hinge mm-hmm. um, and like I always approach dating as like, oh, well, like maybe I'll get some cool friends out of it. Like I, I never have like big plans. And so I feel like I meet a lot of my good friends that way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. I think is great. So I was so glad that we that we connected. Me too. Um, so I wondered if you would give us all a little bit of background about what you're doing right now uh, for work.
1: Sure, so right now I'm working as a therapist at uh, PawCat Center. Um, the full name is uh, PawCat Center for Psychological Services. So I'm working at a clinic. Um, one, we have a bunch of locations, but I work at a portage in Whitewater. For the time being, and I've been there for, oh hi, hi Kat. I've been there for about a year. It's been really awesome. I am just about to be fully licensed, so that's great. Yay! It's kind of a process to get there. Well, my process was quite the process, but yeah, so I'm almost fully licensed, which is awesome. I do a lot of trauma-informed stuff, and CBT and DBT-informed, and um, family systems, or otherwise known as marriage and family therapy, um... I can get into more of what that is in a minute, but (laughs) yeah. So I've been working with clients there for about a year. I've been a therapist for about seven years. Um, I work a lot with the queer community, specifically trans people, um, trans kids, adolescents, um, people of all ages, but yeah, it's been really great.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, was there something that inspired you to get into uh, therapy? Or what did that process look like for you?
1: So when I was in high school, I took a advanced placement psychology course junior year. And I absolutely loved it. I love psychology. So I knew that I wanted to study that more as I got older. And I guess I always wanted to help people too. And I didn't really know what that was going to look like. Mm but then learned a little more about therapy and that just seemed like a really good fit for what I wanted to do with my career yeah yeah so that's been my path
0: since high school and knowing you as a person I feel like a therapist is an is an excellent career choice for you like it just makes sense it's like such a perfect fit thank
1: you yeah I think it is
0: um but I wonder like Do people in your life, like, do they ever kind of, like, cross the boundary of, like, going to you for advice and you go into, like, counselor mode? Like, how do you kind of navigate that? (laughs) All the time. (laughs)
1: And it is partially my fault because I just love talking about trauma with people. Oh, I do too. I love it. (laughs) And I feel like people feel really comfortable with me Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. So I've literally met perfect strangers, and five minutes later, they're crying about their childhood trauma (laughs) and like yeah let it out let's talk more about that (laughs) and I don't I don't mind it because I love connecting with people Mm -hmm. but yeah sometimes if I'm not in the mood for it I you know I try to switch gears a little bit but most of the time I am
0: yeah and I appreciate that because I'm somebody who is very uh trauma forward because I do think like when it comes to trauma-informed care, it's like, we all have our baggage. Like, mm-hmm. we all have shit that we've gone through, and, like, it can look different for different people, but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, we're all coming with something, and the way that we react, the way that we say things, it's, it's all part of what we've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that some other folks who kind of work in the, in the mental health realm sometimes people will come up to them just like willy-nilly and they'll start, you know, spewing all of their trauma and they find that they can sometimes get triggered by that. Have you run into any of that before?
1: Um, sometimes I feel like people kind of hear my story, Mm -hmm. which I can get into that later, but they hear about some of the stuff that I've been through and then they start to bring up their stuff, which normally is okay. Um. so I guess it's kind of situational like sometimes it's okay sometimes it's not
0: yeah I yeah and I think for anything it kind of depends on like day-to-day like sometimes you just don't feel like talking about it like sometimes mm-hmm. you, you know and especially like for for my stuff it's like when I get closer to certain dates it's like I'm more likely to be like I can't deal with anybody else's shit right now. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yep. So I imagine that has to like be a fine line and like, how do you, how do you navigate putting up like boundaries when you are in those kinds of states of mind?
1: Just trying to be really conscious of it. Um, so in June, I tried to make sure I took some time off kind of around an important date. So I did that. I pro- probably should have taken a little more time, honestly, but boundaries are hard. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, something I'm constantly working on, but I just try to be really in touch with how I'm feeling. And honestly, some days I have waken up um, over the past year and thought, wow, I can't be a therapist today. Like, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And luckily, my job is very, very, very supportive. So they pretty much told me, you know, anytime, you need to take some time off, you need to take the day off or half the day off, um, it's okay. So, that's been really nice to be in an environment like that where they really understand. They really stress the importance of taking care of yourself. That's so important. It is. And I've never, never had any backlash from anyone when I've said no, or I don't want to take on this project, or I'm feeling overwhelmed, I don't want to do this, like I've never had anyone push back against me. So. It's been really nice
0: yeah I and I imagine that being a therapist and being somebody who wants to help people it's hard to say like I can't help I, like the best thing for me to do right now is to say I can't right now mm-hmm. and the best way that you can help that person is by saying that and I think it's really awesome that you work somewhere that really um, uh, uh, prioritizes that uh, because there's so many places that like just don't get it they Mm -hmm. just don't
1: (laughs) that's the beautiful thing about working with therapists my sister actually works for the same company as I do and sometimes I talk to her about stuff or I'll say oh I want to say no to this but I feel kind of nervous and she's like no like we work with with therapists they're so understanding they're so awesome (laughs) and she's right Um, they've all been very supportive of me and of everyone else who needs to take care of themselves and it's such a top priority because if you're not okay you really can't help other people yeah to the best of your ability
0: yeah for sure and that's such an important lesson and i think especially during this like time of covid it's something that we've really been trying to stress for everybody is mm-hmm. you got to take care of yourself too it's you know it's not me first it's me too so mm-hmm. um, so I know that you've kind of explained the uh, the title of family and marriage therapy to me. Yes. Uh, please, can you clear it up for our listeners? Because I remember being like, "I'm not married. I'm not. I'm yeah. not family. Like, yeah. <laughs> does this, is this for me?
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's interesting. Marriage and family therapy is also known as uh, family systems therapy. And the name gets a little confusing because systems therapists can work with all types of clients, um, individuals, families, couples, anyone. And systems therapy is basically looking at mental health as a holistic thing. Mm -hmm. Like we're looking at um, how things in your life interact, relationships, uh, job, health. So it's all of the little things that influence the larger picture and vice versa and I was I was thinking about this the other day I was like so I'm a marriage and family therapy but that is actually what I don't do a lot of the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I work with a lot of individuals and I love doing group therapy those are my favorite things to do and I guess I have been doing more family therapy because I work with a lot of kids and young people Mm -hmm. And that's, the family is usually always involved, talking to the parents, um, other family members. So I actually, I don't do a lot of marriage and family therapy, but I do a lot of kind of individual outside of the marriage and family realm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Um. And so when you, when you got that, um, that degree in marriage and family therapy, was that your intention to work with like couples or was it more just like, I want to do therapy and like, this is, this is a thing I can do. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Well, it was a little bit of both. And I feel like when you work and when you see different clients, you figure out what you like, Mm -hmm. figure out what you're good at. I actually found that I really like working with couples who are non-monogamous or polyamorous. I enjoy that so much more than monogamous couples, which was a surprise. (laughs)
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) that was a surprise to me, but I actually, I love doing that.
0: Is there a reason that you're like drawn to that? Like how, how, how are they different?
1: I feel like I, well, in my own personal life, I've, been ethically non-monogamous in the past with my late husband and I just really identified with a lot of it a lot of the views I felt like for me personally it was really aligned with how I viewed relationships and connections and I just I've always liked working with people who are kind of outside of the norm Mm -hmm. who are marginalized that's why I really like working with the queer community and yeah i guess i unfortunately i haven't had the chance to to do a lot of counseling with um ethically non-monogamous people recently but the stuff that i did do when i had those clients was really great
0: interesting um okay so i know bless you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh that was that was really cute he has allergies so he Aww. Yeah, Aww. so he just sneezes a lot um, he's so cute though but uh so you know thinking about like certain movies and like tv shows that i've seen where uh monogamous couples go in for therapy sometimes the their therapist will recommend like ethical non-monogamy or like the hall pass like what do you think of that trope Um,
1: I think it's not very well done in the movies and the TVs I've seen, and it's, it's so much more than just doing it just to do it. I think if it's not something that you really identify with or align with, a lot of the time it's like a quick fix for something, or you have a very different expectation going into it, like, oh, this is going to solve all of your problems. And then you realize, no, like there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of personal work. There is a lot of deprogramming things that you have been conditioned to believe. So it's a lot of the time, a lot more work than people imagine. Mm-hmm. But if you're okay with that, if you're ready and willing to do that work with yourself and with your partner or partners, then yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely think the way that we view relationships, especially modern day, is is so interesting. And I think Mm -hmm. that, um, I believe it's in the book Homo Deus, Um, he talks about, you know, we're living longer than we've ever lived. And so, like, is monogamy really realistic for a lot of us? Like, is being married to someone for 80 years or whatever, is that really realistic? And I think that's a really interesting an interesting question that we need to pose um so yeah I think that's really fascinating so I know you you mentioned your late husband can Mm -hmm. you tell us a little bit about um your experience uh being married and in a in an ethically non-monogamous relationship
1: yeah so I I really enjoyed being married my husband was like the greatest guy ever that's the only reason why I married him (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't really sure that I wanted to get married, but I definitely made a good choice. And so when we were dating, it wasn't something that we talked a lot about. I mean, it came up here and there. Mm -hmm. But then we got married and like six months later, I said, I think this is something that I need to explore. This is something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I was not sure how he was going to react to that. I was really scared, but he said, Hey, me too. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we had a really strong foundation, and that made it easier. Because mm-hmm. some people try it out because they think, oh, it sounds fun. Or I get to have two girlfriends or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not what they expect when they actually do it. But it was something that we both agreed on. And it definitely, it, it worked for us. Mm-hmm. I don't think it works for everyone But we had a really strong foundation, we communicated really well, we really wanted each other to be happy, Mm -hmm. and we knew that exploring this stuff and having other connections with people was something that we wanted to pursue, and communication is so important in that whole process. So it was lots and lots and lots (laughs) of talking, (laughs) pretty much nonstop talking, which is, it's fine because the monogamous programming runs really deep Mm -hmm. and it's it's a very long unlearning process yeah
0: yeah and yeah because i feel like there's so much and, and even when it comes to like dating people it's like there's so much um there's so many heteronormative ideas about how we date so it's like we are girls are taught to date men and and Mm -hmm. men are taught to date girls and it's like but nobody talks about like you know uh, how do men date men and and what about trans people and non-binary folks and so i feel like there's just so much that is we we don't learn you know we don't see it in tv a whole lot we don't we don't learn it from our parents Mm -hmm. um and so i think it's interesting i was just having a conversation a conversation the other day um where it was like, you know, a lot of women were like, I don't know how to hit on, hit on other women. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, and so it's, I feel like it's the same thing with, like, ethical non-monogamy. We're taught, you know, how to be in monogamous relationships, and even that learning is not always the best, mm-hmm. um, but we're very rarely taught how to be in ethically non-monogamous relationships.
1: Yeah, I don't think I, before my experiences with that, I didn't have any people in my life that had done it that could talk to me about it. It was kind of learn as you go and it was really interesting. I found that when I was married, I really preferred dating people who were already in other relationships because they kind of understood the dynamic a little more. Mm -hmm. Like they understood the boundaries. They weren't going to ask more of you than what you could give. So I really liked that. And my husband would date people who were single. And I was always kind of like, watch out, you know. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, they're cool. They get it. And then sure enough, a week later, he was like, yeah, you were right. They wanted me to leave you and be their main person. I was like, damn. (laughs) That sucks, you know. But maybe you should look at the type of person that you're going after yeah so i think and of course there are exceptions like not everyone who is single and traditionally monogamous is like that Mm -hmm. but we certainly ran into some issues with that
0: yeah yeah i imagine it's hard um yeah it's interesting can you tell us a little bit about um your experience um with your with your husband
1: So, yeah. So my husband passed a little over three years ago. He passed when I was about six months pregnant. So that was obviously not a good time. Like that was really horrible. And so it's been about three years. My son is just about to turn three. It was... Yeah. It was a really, really sudden thing. Like we didn't see it coming. He wasn't sick. Like we had no idea it was going to happen. And so yeah, one day he was not feeling well. We thought he had the flu or like had some type of stomach bug and he was getting sick and I was pregnant. So he was like, well, go sleep on the couch cause I don't want you to get sick mm-hmm. cause I'm also diabetic. So getting sick can be pretty dangerous. So I went to go sleep on the couch. He went to sleep in the bed. And I woke up the next day. And I had this really awful feeling. Like out of nowhere. Just intuition I guess you'd call it. And it was like 10 a.m. I woke up and I was like oh he hasn't come out here. That's strange. And it wasn't strange. Like that was nothing out of the ordinary. Because he would sleep late. Mm -hmm. But I. yes, I woke up and then I was walking back towards the bedroom. And I was like. I think he's dead. Like, just out of nowhere. Like, I said that to myself. I was like, I think he's dead. And then, yeah, so I opened the door, and he was. So he had passed in his sleep from a heart attack, we found out later. So, yeah, so that was, yeah, it's, there's not a lot of words to describe it, I don't think.
0: Oh, no, I I can't, I, I can't imagine, and like, I... I, it just feels like such an impossible situation for anybody to be in, mm-hmm. and the fact that you are like a functioning adult and like <laughs> here today, yeah. is amazing to me. Like I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you did it. Um, mm-hmm. And so I,
1: I, I, don't know how either. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. Um,
0: but yeah, I, I can't imagine all the feelings that you had because you said you were six months pregnant at mm-hmm. the time. It's, oh man, I feel like there have to be so many conflicting emotions, like, um.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so my son, he's also my rainbow baby, so that means, um, a baby you're pregnant with after experiencing loss of some type, like a miscarriage or infant loss. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of losses before I got pregnant with him, and so pretty much for my entire pregnancy with my rainbow baby, I just had, like, crippling anxiety. Um, like it was awful, awful anxiety. Like, I was always waiting for something bad to happen to my son, and it didn't. So, I was very thankful for that. But then, something else tragic happened. So, that was super hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think back to that time in my life, and I think I, I don't even know. I don't know how I did it. Like, I was really glad to have my son... I think he was what really kept me going. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been pregnant, I don't I don't know what I would have done. I think it would have been a lot harder.
0: Yeah. That just sounds so impossible. Just that's why I think that you are just so resilient and I and I hate that that it happened to you because obviously nobody deserves that. Mm-hmm. Um and you're like I said you're such a kind person. I can't I can't begin to put myself in that situation. Um so I'm curious, what were some things that kind of helped you to cope and to get to a point where you are more all right? Because grief is weird, and we'll, we'll kind yeah. of talk about some some of that in, mm-hmm. a, in a minute, but I'm just curious if there were any things in particular that kind of helped you come along. Uh, I know you t- you talked about um, your son being born, mm-hmm. which I think is really important, um, but were there specific things that other people did or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so I had some really great friends, and I have a really great fam- family as well. They were there for me pretty much 24 seven. and I actually I met a lot of really great people. Um, I was in a this worldwide Facebook group for dogs. Um, <laughs> and I my husband and I were dog lovers, and you know we had a dog that we'd post in that group. And I posted about him passing and I actually, I made friends pretty much all over the world from that. And I connected with other people who were widowed, which was really awesome. We're still friends. Um, We still talk today. They live in Australia and New (laughs) Zealand and the UK. That's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. And I think it was just really helpful to talk to people who had experienced that. Because when you go through that, you feel really alone Mm -hmm. and it's like, I need to talk to someone like me. I need to talk to someone who understands part of what I'm going through. And I had some really good friends in real life as well. Like, I was really blown away by how people just showed up for me. Like, my sister came over every day with coffee. She just showed up. She's like, I'm here. (laughs) So that was great. And I had friends who would walk my dog for me or they would just leave food on my porch they would text me and say you don't have to come say hi I'm just gonna leave this here (sighs) so I think just people showing up Mm -hmm. and because when people are experiencing grief you know a lot of the time people say oh let me know if you need anything and a lot of the time you don't know what you need Mm -hmm. so it's hard to reach out and ask for that when you're really struggling so it was really nice to have people just intentionally show up and whether it's calling you or sending a care package or walking your dog or bringing you food anything like that I think that was what really made the difference in the really early days for me as far as just surviving that yeah period of time
0: yeah and I I can kind of relate to that experience of like community just coming together and surrounding you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a big part of what got me through like my dad's death is seeing the community come together and, you know, they would drop off wine mm-hmm. or they would like three different places donated food for his memorial. Mm-hmm. And it was, Aww, yeah. The, yeah. And so like the memorial had like a huge turnout, like it was supposed to go for like two hours. It went for like four, like, mm-hmm. so s- seeing all the people that were impacted by that made me feel like oh somebody else understands this hole that's now existing in the world um which was which was really nice um and i'm sure there were things that were not so helpful um yeah do you have particular advice that you would give to people who are Maybe trying to be helpful uh, mm-hmm. with somebody experiencing grief, but actually can do more harm than good. Like, what should we avoid?
1: Yeah, um, I think in general, people really mean well. I think they really do. Um, they don't know what to say or how to react because it is a really tough situation. Yeah. Um, I think everyone kind of believes different things. I... Yeah, some really unhelpful comments from people like, oh, it's part of God's plan. And I was like, there's a plan? Like, could somebody send me a copy? Right. Yeah. (laughs) So so I know what's happening. So that really got on my nerves. And yeah, just the whole like, oh, it's part of a plan or really didn't appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I think really the best thing you can do is just to show up for people. Don't try to fix it. Yes. Um, Just... Sit with them, mm-hmm. let them be sad, let them feel whatever they're feeling. And people are really uncomfortable with grief and mm-hmm. sadness and despair because they are uncomfortable. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, those emotions exist for a reason. We're supposed to feel them. Yes. So just, I would just say, don't try to fix it. Um, just say, I'm here for you. Here's something intentional I want to do to help you. You know, I want to drop off dinner some night this week. Mm-hmm. Like Stuff like that was really helpful for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and something that I continually relearn through my grief is that there's no timeline, and mm-hmm. it, it doesn't ever go away. It, sometimes it gets kind of pushed to the back of your mind, but it's always kind of there, and I even though I like to think that I'm a pretty, like, enlightened person, I definitely fell into the trap of, like, oh, once a year passes, I'll be fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I quickly learned that that was not the case.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not. There really is. There's no timeline. There's no blueprint for how to get through things. Um, I remember thinking that I would feel better once, year anniversary pass Mm -hmm. and I didn't and then I thought okay well does this get easier at some point and it's it I don't know if it gets easier I think you just learn to function and you learn to carry it along Mm -hmm. with you and I don't think it ever really stops hurting I mean for me it doesn't I definitely still have moments and I still have days that are extremely hard like memories come up Mm -hmm or those you know those things called secondary losses that come after you lose a person you know i lost having a family i lost having my husband there when my son was born i lost you know the holidays the family stuff like i'm never going to have that with him my son's never going to know his dad in real life so that's that's really hard to cope with sometimes like and even the most like benign things can make you really emotional Oh yes. like I was at Walgreens and I saw like a shampoo bottle or something of what my husband used to use and I was like ah! like standing there in Walgreens like a crazy person like crying and I was like oh great that's happening yeah. but just <laughs> learning not to judge yourself for that yeah either is so important
0: yeah absolutely and I, I think that just goes to show, and I, and I say this all the time, is that you never know what somebody's going through. And so if somebody is breaking down in the middle of Walgreens, like, mm-hmm. just know that they've got something going on. Or, like, if somebody's in a pissy mood with you, like, they've probably got some shit going on that you don't know anything about. So it's, like, the best thing you can do for people is to just be kind. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you, if you can help, fantastic. But sometimes just not being a dick is is all that you need to do
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I think that's so true that's so true
0: yeah um so yeah I I don't think that it ever necessarily gets easier either I think like kind of what you said like you just kind of adapt to it you learn you Mm -hmm. know how to live with it and without that thing um so yeah it's hard grief is fucking weird um and I've yeah. learned that sometimes it leads to just doing weird shit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've never...
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so strange. Like, I talk about this in my office with people who come in who've experienced a loss of some sort. And they always ask me, is this normal? Like, is this normal? I'm like, yes, it's normal. Trust me, it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, there are so many different ways to grieve. One way isn't better than the other. It's all very personal and people are you know they're very concerned that it's not normal Mm -hmm. and like it is and like for me yeah weird stuff like I like when you're like going through their stuff you're like what do I keep what do I get rid of and I was like I really want to keep these shoes of his but I'm going to throw away his toothbrush but I was like why do I want to keep these shoes like he's never going to wear them you Mm -hmm. know like it's really interesting what you find to be sentimental or something that you don't want to let go of
0: yeah and for me like going through my dad's things felt intrusive mm-hmm. it was like no those are his things like I, I don't get to touch those things yeah and then remembering that like they're they're his but they're not because he's not here mm-hmm. Um, so things like that and then my dad had tons of cars like he loved cars and he was a mechanic and so, you know, fortunately, Karen, my bonus mom has been taking care of getting rid of all the cars, but it's like, you know, my my logical part of my brain says we need to get rid of these cars because if they don't run, then they're just going to, you know, corrode and it's just going to be bad. And then the less logical part of my brain is like, yeah, but I don't want anybody else to enjoy them. Right? Like, I don't want to see anybody else driving this GTO. Mm-hmm. Um So yeah, it's, your brain kind of does weird things, and it's like, it's hard, especially when you know that your brain is being weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is very strange, and the whole try not to judge yourself thing is really important, because grief is really strange, like, it makes you do very odd things, and there's, yeah, there's no logic to a lot of it, but I think that's okay, because everyone... Handles things in their own way
0: yeah is there anything that um people can do to like prepare for grief because we know that grief is a part of life like we're going to lose things we're going to lose people um we're going to lose ideas like is there anything that we can do to kind of not necessarily prevent ourselves from feeling grief because i think that grief is really important um but anything we can do to kind of help us to accept it
1: Um, I think just keeping in mind what you said of there not being a timeline because there really isn't um, just knowing that a lot of what you feel is not going to make sense Mm -hmm. and that's okay and try not to judge yourself but yeah I mean that's that's a good question because it like logically, we know that everyone dies, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to wrap your brain around the permanence of it. Yes. Like, that's one of the strangest things. Like, to think about how somebody can be there, and then suddenly they're not mm-hmm. ever again. So that's, that's a very weird thing yeah. to process.
0: It is. And especially when that person is, like, such a big part of your life, I feel like, and... You, you think well how how can nobody else see this person is gone like how mm-hmm. does the world continue to turn i think is it, it is it's so fucking weird um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but i know that um with with my dad's death i've definitely grown as a person and it's definitely changed a lot of the way that i that i look at things um so i'm wondering has your experience with with death and grief has that uh contributed to how you live your life today
1: yeah I think that I I definitely did change a lot um, just as a side effect of that loss it's it would be impossible not to because literally every part of my life changed overnight and I just think that the biggest thing that I've noticed is that Now I know absolutely for sure without doubt that I can deal with absolutely anything. Mm -hmm. Life throws at me anything. I can deal with it. Because I already lived through this horrible thing. You know, I'm still living through it. And I guess, yeah, things that would have bothered me before don't bother me as much. Like I just feel a lot, I don't know what the word is, maybe resilient, and my priorities have changed because we really, we really don't know how much time we have yes. on this earth. We never do. So I'm trying to be present for my son. I'm trying to be there for him as much as I can. And not stress or not dwell on stupid little things that don't really matter that much in the long run. Mm-hmm. So I just, my priorities have definitely changed. I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I feel really stable, I feel really strong on my own. Because in the past, I would kind of jump from relationship to relationship, and I didn't spend a lot of time on my own. And I feel like for the first time in my life now, I'm totally okay. Like, I don't need to be in a relationship with anyone. Mm -hmm. It's a nice thing to have. Absolutely, it is um, when you're ready for it. But I don't feel like I need that. Mm -hmm. I just feel very independent and that's a really really nice feeling. Yeah. Cuz I didn't used to feel like that. Yeah. Even before my husband passed.
0: Yeah. It's a very liberating feeling. I feel like when you're when you realize mm-hmm. like I'm a bad bitch on my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And like with the dating stuff it doesn't turn out the way I hoped it would, I'm like, yeah, whatever you know right right <laughs> it's not the end of the world
0: yeah yeah I I love that it's it's not the end of the world it never is you know mm-hmm. um, unless you know something like 2012 happens but <laughs> yeah exactly but you know we'll get there when we get there but I really appreciate you coming on I appreciate you sitting in my closet and drinking wine with me um, yeah absolutely <laughs> and I, I truly appreciate how open you've been I know that we had we talked about some heavy shit, yeah. and so I really appreciate your willingness to talk about that, and um, yeah, I don't know how you aren't uh, just a ball of tears all the time, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's amazing, so thank you so much yeah. for agreeing to this. Oh,
1: absolutely. And yeah, it was my pleasure.
0: Is there, um, is there anywhere that you want people to follow you, or anything like that?
1: Hmm... Well, I have, I have Instagram, I have Facebook. If you are looking for a badass therapist, (laughs) hey, right here. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But also not because I'm really good at my job. Um, But yeah, I guess I don't really have a lot of public pages, Mm -hmm. but look into Pocket Center if you're looking for a good therapist. We have a lot of good people. Um, mental health is important yes take care of yourselves
0: <laughs> yes also I love that you just said I'm really good at my job that makes mm-hmm. me so happy because like, <laughs> like fuck this whole being humble thing like yeah. if you're good at something you're good at something so yeah um,
1: yes. I I I'm really exceptional at it yes I think um not to be too over the top but you know I think for the most part it's it's my honor to connect with people and listen to their stories and help guide them through some things it's i think it's absolutely the right thing for me to do
0: yes well i appreciate you um thank you again and um i will shut this off so that we can just drink wine and have fun Yay! <laughs> cheers <laughs> Thank you for listening to Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. Please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like more content from Empowered Authenticity, make sure to follow on Instagram at empowered underscore authenticity. We'll see you next week. If you or someone you know is an angsty feminist like me and they literally want to wear their feminism on their sleeve, then you have got to check out Feminist Trash Store. Feminist Trash is founded on the belief that intersectional feminism and sustainability go hand in hand. They specialize in size-inclusive, unisex apparel, with hand-lettered designs by artist and founder Joanna. Each t-shirt is printed with biodegradable, water-based ink, and carefully made to order to minimize waste and ethically reduce any environmental impact. Their eco-friendly and 100% vegan t-shirts are designed to embody the meaningful conversations feminists are having in pursuit of a more empathetic and inclusive future. They want people expressing themselves in the ways that feel most sincere to them, without the perpetual silencing of preconceived racial stereotypes, sexual rigidity, and body shaming. Feminist trash is committed to increased visibility for intersectional feminism. They're leveraging the power of community and sustainable fashion practices to mobilize a growing platform of diverse voices of intersectional feminist artists and independent feminist media creators from around the world. At Feminist Trash, they are committed to feminism that centers intersectionality, mutual aid, and actively pushes back against patriarchal white supremacist oppression. That's why they've created Mutual Aid Mondays, where every Monday their profits will be distributed to a different mutual aid or community organization that upholds feminist, anti-racist, and queer inclusionary foundations. They source products and fabrics from ethical brands and suppliers who comply to labor, environmental, and safety standards. Go to feministtrash.com and enter code Kelly that's K-E-L-L-Y-S-H-O-P-P-A, at checkout to receive 20% off your order and start wearing your feminism on your sleeve.